0: Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences.
1: Is that weird? You need to tell us. Yeah. So you know, last episode, how you had said that I couldn't say words because I was going
0: to go check if
2: I have my period. Mm-hmm. I have it. Mm-hmm. How did you know that?
0: I just know stuff. It's Should we also know that weird. this is
2: this is the same day, right? Like we're recording yeah, two episodes recording... in one day, so you're going to hear this like a week later. But in reality, but yeah, this is instant.
1: <laughs> instant. I after we finished the last episode, I went to the bathroom. Didi and Kirst were making tea. I realised I had my period. I came back out and I told them in the kitchen mm-hmm. and we were shook. Well, Curse was shook. Dee was doing like a told, told you. you. Mm.
0: Well, it's kind of weird and I did just explain to and I think she kind of knows a little bit already, but I do sort of know things. and It sounds like I think all people do and especially women do because we need to be able to – we interpret nonverbal cues much better than men do because we generally are mm-hmm. the one with a baby that can't speak – we need to work out what mm. what it wants. Um, but, yeah, my, my grandmother was the same. I mean, my grandmother used to talk to ghosts and all sorts of stuff. Um, but I do get a bit of... Intuition. Like I just, well, it's intuition. And we're all eating breadsticks, by the way. We're eating a grissini.
1: Yeah, that's, why, that's the noises you can hear. Because we're, Cause all we're
0: starving and we cracked into a, a basket that arrived. Um, <laughs> but sometimes I just... And I think a lot of people do it. You just have to make sure you listen to the intuition, and so I listen to it. But sometimes I always assumed that everyone else had the same, but sometimes I can know what people are thinking as well. But it might just be done by reading their verbal cues and stuff. Yeah, and let's not even get into my dreams because that's a whole other area. How am I going to do my story? What story are you doing?
1: Long one short one? I've got a
0: big complex one. Okay. But wowie, it's a ride and a half
1: Alright, let's I'm go ready.
0: Mm.
2: You ready? Let's Sitting
1: go on down. the ride okay. let's
0: go. This might be familiar to a few people too I'm just going to have a sip of tea Are you reading Hold off on.
1: your laptop? Mm.
0: No, I'm not But I'm going to play you a video in a minute
1: Oh, okay. I was going to say very unusual Yeah, you I was like, oh God
2: mm-hmm. High us. tech, yeah Yeah,
0: no <laughs> um, Okay, so 2003 46-year-old Brian Wells was a pizza delivery man Mm-hmm At 2.28pm on August the 28th, he went into a bank in Erie in Pennsylvania. He had a short cane in his right hand and a strange bulge under the collar of his T-shirt. He took one of the free lollipops on the counter Mm -hmm. uh, and then he handed the teller a note. And the note said, gather employees with access codes to Vault and work fast to fill bag with $250,000. You have only 15 minutes. And he lifted up his shirt to reveal the fact that he had a device around his neck. And the note said that it was a bomb. So the teller said they couldn't get into the Vault at that time and took – gathered all the cash that was at the teller windows, which came Mm to $8,702. So Brian Wells walked out eating the lollipop, got into his car and he drove off. So about 15 minutes later, police caught him standing next to his car in a parking lot. They grabbed him, threw him to the ground, cuffed his hands behind his back, but he still had the collar bomb around his neck. Wells said that he had been delivering pizza... When a group of black men Mm -hmm. chained the bomb around his neck at gunpoint and forced him to rob the bank. And as he sat on the ground, he said, it's going to go off. I'm not lying. The bomb squad was called in. The police hid behind their cars. News crews had arrived and a lot of them were broadcasting the whole thing live. So there is a lot of footage online of what actually happened. Wells was on the ground for around about 25 minutes he asked the police if they had called his boss because he didn't want his boss to think that he wasn't doing his job properly. In 10 years, the only time he had ever called in late for work was when his cat died. So suddenly the device around his neck started making a beeping noise. He shuffled a bit like he was trying to get away from the bomb around his neck and then, boom, it went off.
3: He was getting excited and then I uh, kept hearing it. it. You know, it was going beep, beep. That so was zoomed in right on his face.
1: That could totally, 100% end up, if that was a situation here in Melbourne where we report the news and there was a guy with a collar bomb, Mm. we would start broadcasting that live.
0: Do you yeah. think yeah you yeah, would? Yeah,
1: I think we would. Mm. You'd have to roll on it. Yeah. And you'd absolutely. if the whole area is being shut down, we'd probably break into coverage. And I'm just thinking how we would handle that. We it's
0: just have difficult. to difficulty we'd there be would on be delay. Decisions made. Be a yeah.
1: delay. Yeah. How uh, much delay do you guys have? Uh it's an excellent question. I'm not sure, okay. but it's enough. Yeah. I think it's about 15 seconds, Mm.
0: which doesn't sound a lot. I think we work in seven seconds in radio.
1: I I actually, yeah, because when I do a newsroom cross, when I finish crossing, if I look up on the TV, I'm still on there talking.
0: So it's enough. Mm -hmm.
2: 15 seconds is enough.
0: That they could drop it when it got to that point. "Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
2: What happens when you do that though? Like do you cuz when we come out of delay it goes straight back to live radio so Dee, Dee starts talking and it's instantly live and they build delay again. When you guys oh. dump something, does it go to like that little like colorful screen? It's like beep. Or... I don't know. Mm. I think it would. Oh. Or you
1: just have to you'd have to it would be such a mad scramble. You'd have to or dump back to the studio and hope that there's someone there. It would yeah, be incredibly it rare. It's incredibly
0: mm. rare for live things to be put to air outside of the news Mm. Um, and for something to happen that needed to be dumped, it's incredibly rare. Well, a lot of them didn't have their finger on the button quick enough and a lot of people saw Mm. uh, Brian Wells be blown backwards. He landed on his back, huge gash in his chest. So Brian Wells died at 3.18 p.m. The bomb squad arrived three minutes later. Mm. So the police looked through Wells's car. They found the cane that he'd been carrying in the bank. It was actually a homemade gun. Mm. The bomb was a triple-banded metal collar with four keyholes and a three-digit combination lock and an iron box containing two six-inch pike bombs. The collar had a hinge, a bit like handcuffs, Mm -hmm. and the investigators could tell that it had been built by someone who knew what they were doing. It had two Sunbeam kitchen timers uh, and one... Electronic countdown timer. It had wires running through that connected to nothing, so they were decoys to throw off whoever tried to disable oh. it. Also, in the car were handwritten notes addressed to the bomb hostage. The note said, to rob the bank of $250,000, then follow this set of complex instructions to find various keys and combination codes that were hidden throughout Erie. There were drawings, there were threats, there were maps. And if Wells did it as he was told, he would get the keys and the combination to unlock and disable the bomb. The note said, there's only one way you can survive and that is to cooperate completely. This powerful booby trap bomb can be removed only by following our instructions. Act now, think later, or you will die. So it was like a scavenger hunt, all these clues that have been given. So the police tried to continue on with it to see where it would lead them. The first note said, Exit the bank with the money and go to the McDonald's restaurant. Spelt wrong. Uh get out of the car, go to the small sign reading Drive Through Open Twenty Four Hours in the Flower Bed. By the sign there is a rock with a note taped to the bottom. It has your next instructions. So Brian Wells had already done that and he had found a note in the flower bed which told him to go up Peach Street to the woods a few miles away and look for a container with orange tape with the next set of instructions. Now, obviously, he never made it that far, but the police found the container and the note. It sent them two miles south to a small road sign where the next clue would be waiting in another jar. So they found that jar, but it was empty. Mm. So someone obviously realises the police... Uh, um, or that whoever had set the whole thing up was watching the police doing the scavenger hunt. So police went back to retrace uh, Brian Wells' steps on the day that he died. He had been at Mamma Mia's pizzeria at one thirty when an order came in for two small sausage and pepperoni pizza pies to be delivered to a property out of town. And it was right at the end of his shift, so he said he would deliver it and, and uh, he left the shop at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The address that he was going to was up a dirt road and investigators found on that dirt road shoe prints that matched Brian Wells's mm-hmm. and tyre tracks that matched his car. So he had made that delivery. They watched the house... And the next day, a tall, heavy-set man was spotted. And he lived in the area. His name was Bill Rothstein. He was 59. He'd lived there all his life. He was very well-spoken. In fact, he was pretty smart. He was also fluent in French and Hebrew. And he didn't seem to know what was going on. He happily showed the journos around because mm. everyone was trying to work out what was going on. So less than a month after the death of Brian Wells, this Bill Rothstein guy, did I say Rothstein or Rothstein, either one, mm. Um, Bill Rothstein called the police and he told them that at 8645 Peach Street, and isn't that a very American address? Mm. Yeah. 8645 Peach Street. It's like when it's in a murder show set in New York. Yeah. What's the number? 555. Yeah. It's 555 something, isn't it? Um, At 8645 Peach Street, which was his house, there was a frozen body in the freezer. Yeah. Start. This story goes everywhere. It goes what? all in weird places. All right. So Bill Rothstein Stein was quickly arrested. He told police that he had been wanting to kill himself hmm. and they, in fact, did find a suicide note in his desk at home. Okay. The note said that the body in the freezer was another man by the name of Jim Roden. Okay. Bill Rothstein Stein, <laughs> one of the two, <laughs> Uh, said that he did not kill him nor participate in his death. This is the body in the freezer. Mm -hmm. The note said something else a bit strange. It said, this has nothing to do with the Wells case, the collarbomb case. Mm. Mm.
2: Ah, okay.
1: This has absolutely nothing to do with that awful crime that I did not have anything to do with. So don't bother looking or trying to make any links, Mm. which I'm sure Mm. is exactly what investigators did. They just said, well, that's that. My word is good.
0: Nobody saw me. It can't prove anything. Sure. That's the Bart Simpson defence, isn't it? Yeah. I didn't do it. Nobody saw me. It can't prove anything. So Rothstein explained what had happened. In uh, just, Let's just accept that I'm going to say it differently every time. Okay. In mid-August, he said he had had a phone call from an ex-girlfriend, a woman by the name of Marjorie Deal Armstrong.
1: Marjorie. Marjorie. Mm. Marjorie.
0: He said that she told him she'd been fighting with her boyfriend, James Roden, that's the body in the freezer, Mm -hmm. over money. And she had shot him in the back. Mm. And she wanted this Bill Rothstein to help her get rid of the body. So he kept the corpse in a chest freezer in his garage for five weeks and he got rid of her gun for her. Marjorie wanted him to cut the body up and put it through the ice chipper. Mm. Uh, and then she was going to scatter the pieces all over town, but he couldn't go through with that and he was afraid at the same time of what she might do to him as Mm. well. So Marjorie was arrested for the murder of Roden, body in the freezer. She was found guilty at trial and sentenced to from seven to 20 years jail. It's a Mm. big gap, isn't it? Big gap. Mm. Bill Rothstein, Stein, uh, died, I think it was only the next year after that. He only lived on a year or two further, and he died of cancer. Yeah, the year after the collar bomb thing, he died of cancer. So we no longer have him to give any more evidence or give his version of things. Now, the team of federal agents who were investigating the collar bomb murder, they hadn't been paying any attention at all to this other murder, the body in the freezer, Bill Rothstein, yep. Marjorie sure. with the double-barrelled surname, mm-hmm. um, because that was a local matter and it didn't appear to have anything to do with the collar bomb case. But in April 2005, they got a phone call from a state police officer who had just met with Marjorie, Marjorie Deal Armstrong, mm-hmm. and it seemed that the suicide note that Bill Rothstein had left in his desk was a lie and that... The murder of Roden, the one in the freezer, had a lot to do with the Colobomb plot. Mm-hmm. So the FBI went to talk to Marjorie and she told them that if they could transfer, to, transfer her to a minimum security prison close to her home, she would tell them everything. Now, Marjorie had a bit of history with the police. Um, uh, Many years earlier, 1984, when she was 35, she was charged with murdering her boyfriend, a man by the name of Robert Thomas. She claimed that she had shot him six times in self-defence and the jury acquitted her. Four years later, her husband, Richard Armstrong, died of a cerebral hemorrhage. And the death was ruled as accidental, but there are some questions about the head injury that he suffered. And that case was never forwarded to the coroner's office. But now looking back, probably she had something to do with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Back in high school, she was known as very intelligent. She had an almost encyclopedic knowledge of literature, history, the law, but she also suffered from bipolar disorder and her mood swung sharply. She was paranoid and she was narcissistic, uh, narcissistic. So in 1984 investigators found 400 pounds of butter and more than 700 pounds of cheese, nearly all of it rotting, inside her house, which was filled with rubbish. Mm. So she's not right. Nah. Because you don't need that. I love butter.
2: I love cheese. Do you? Yeah, but I wouldn't let it go to waste like that.
0: Actually, I have cheese every day on my salad that I bring in, don't I? Yeah, cheese. Good. I know, I love it. <laughs> I
1: love both and I always bulk buy butter. I'm really into bulk Ooh. buying. Mm. Not hoarder-wise, but just like, you know, if you see the good Batoli, is it Batoli? Yes. Mm, delicious butter that if you, it goes up. on half price. I buy a lot of it. Mm.
0: But your butter will go off. I know you're keeping it in the fridge. It's not something that you can stock up six months in advance, is it? No,
1: not six months. I think it lasts a while, yeah. though.
0: And I like proper hard block butter, not butter softened butter. Oh. Softened butter's got oil mixed in with it to make it soft. Yeah but I like those. Not it tears the same your bread apart. Yeah, it just
2: rips it. rips holes in it. Mm, it's Yeah, I like little. that.
0: But I like I like the butter cold and hard. Ooh. Oh. Says I a lot about that. Yeah, it. Yeah. Either way, nobody <laughs> needs four hundred pounds of the stuff no, in I their house. No. 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 Marjorie, what are you doing?
1: Marjorie likes Marjorie. Yeah. She
0: Oh, <laughs> Chanel
2: Sorry. That Good. was no.
0: magnificent. You're welcome. Psychiatrists, my daughter will love that. She loves Puns? Does she? Yes.
1: Sometimes I use too many at work. I get told off. She's only one per story. Sometimes oh. I go crazy. You
0: know, do them, do yeah. them. I'm here for them every time. Yeah. In fact, because her surname's Dunleavy, she gets called Punleavy. Punleavy. Because she does a lot. She's yep. Uh, so, psychiatrist like de- uh, deemed uh, Marjorie to be mentally incompetent seven times before a judge finally ruled she was fit to be tried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so she's very smart, but she's not averse to murder, just a bit eccentric, the kind sure. of person who would want to pull off something like a very complicated bank heist. Right. And here's the other thing about her, and you would know this, Chanel, from your dealings with the occasional criminal. Sure. They love to show off, they don't they? It. They love it. Narcissist. They do. So she met with the investigators, and while she kept saying that she wasn't involved with the plot, she could not help herself telling mm. them about it, because she wanted them to know how brilliant she was. She had supplied the kitchen timers that we used in the bomb. She was in within a mile of the bank at the time of the robbery. She also said that Brian Wells, the dead pizza delivery guy, was not just a victim, but had been in on the plan. She pointed the finger at Bill Rothstein, which is unfair because he's not alive to defend himself. Mm -hmm. And the cops, despite all that, suspected her. And informants told them that she had talked about the crime in intimate detail. One, and these have got to be other people in jail with her, surely. Yeah. Uh, one said she had admitted that she had killed Roden because he was going to tell about the robbery and that she had helped measure Brian Wells's neck for the bomb. Mm. So in late 2005, a witness came forward to say that another man was involved. Sorry, this is so complex, but it's just like... Yeah, it just keeps going. ...the whole town. <laughs> um, Kenneth Barnes was a former TV repairman, uh, but he was now a crack dealer. Oh. And he was an old fishing buddy of Marjorie. Okay. And he had been shooting his mouth off around town about the collar bomb, pl- bomb plot. Um, he was already in jail on drug ch- charges, but he did a deal to tell all that he knew in exchange for a reduced sentence. So, okay. So... This guy, Kenneth Barnes, confirmed that Marjorie was the mastermind behind the collarbone plot. She apparently needed the cash so that she could pay him to kill her father. Okay. And she wanted her father dead because she thought that he was spending his way through all of his money and she wanted to inherit it. Right. She needed to
1: kill someone to get money to kill her dad. That's <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Okay.
0: So in 2007, after almost uh, it was nearly four years after Brian Wells had been blown to death by the collar bomb, Marjorie Deal Armstrong and Kenneth Barnes, the the crack dealer, were charged. With the collar bomb bank robbery. And Bill Rothstein, even though he was dead, was named as a co-conspirator. They said that Brian Wells, the victim, was in on the scheme from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. He had agreed to rob the bank wearing what he thought was a fake bomb. Okay, He didn't know it was real. Um, The scavenger hunt was apparently just to fool the cops. And Brian was supposed to, if he got caught point to the instructions that were in his car and things and say, oh, I'm just following orders. So that was his get out. Yeah. Um, although his relatives were furious at the claim that he was involved on it and they said why would he take part in such a thing, what was in it for him. So Kenneth Barnes, crack dealer, uh, he pleaded guilty September 2008. He was sentenced to 45 years behind bars wow. and he agreed to testify against Marjorie in the hope of getting his sentence reduced. At first, a federal judge ruled her mentally unfit to stand trial. But when she was finally deemed ready to face a judge and jury, she was diagnosed with glandular cancer. So they put proceedings on hold. August 2010, the doctor said she had three to seven years to live. So the prosecutors pressed on. Kenneth Barnes told the court that Marjorie devised the plan. Her co-conspirators were Bill Rothstein and Brian Wells. And apparently uh, he said that Wells was doing it for the money. Um, because it turned out that Brian Wells, the one that died with the collarbone, uh-huh. uh, he had been in a relationship with a prostitute and had been buying crack from Kenneth oh. Barnes to give to the prostitute in exchange for sex Six. and he'd fallen into debt. So he needed money and that's why he was in on the whole thing. Okay, um, Marjorie was called horrible during the trial and she was behaved really badly. She was calling out all the time, Mm -hmm. arguing. She was disrupting proceedings the whole way through. She was ridiculing her lawyer more than 50 separate times. The judge sought, uh, often without any luck, to try and cut her off. So she was just a nightmare. Um, She claimed she had never met Brian Wells. Mm. The jury didn't buy that. After deliberating for 11 hours, they returned guilty verdicts on all three charges, armed bank robbery, conspiracy and using a destructive device in a crime of violence, and Marjorie Deal Armstrong died of breast cancer oh. on the fourth of April, two thousand and seventeen,
2: in Texas. There you are. There you go. That's it. That's it.
0: The collar bomb. Google
2: There's it. There's a Ripper doco on it. Yes. Um, yeah. Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Is it Evil Genius? Yes. yes. Oh, so good. Yeah. Because that's the first place I heard about it. Yeah.
0: No, you heard about it first on Dead oh, Bodies heard, podcast, Kirsten. Heard it here first. Correct. Yes. And now you're just thinking that there Correct. might possibly I'll, be. I'll go back. I'll edit what I've said. It's
1: pretty full on. It's mm. a lot of effort. Mm. Like, it's a lot
2: of effort to just to rob a bank. Reminds me a bit of that, um, is it Saw? The movie Saw? Oh, where it was like yeah. A bit of a scaven- there's like an effort, like scavenger hunt to get out.
0: But wasn't she showing off as well? Yeah. Like her going, so. oh, I'm smarter than you. A lot of the time you see that with crims, don't you? What do you okay. Got, what do you got? What do you got? Shuts. Apart from your period,
1: so true. <laughs> Speaking, actually, this ties in quite well with me getting my period.
0: Okay. How possibly can that be? Because there's a period reference in it. Okay.
3: Oh,
1: wow. So what? what does it happen? Yeah. What? I don't know. <laughs>
2: But it does. My brain is broke.
1: So my brain is broke. (laughs) My
0: brain broke.
1: Love it. Okay, so we had someone write to us from Florida and they wanted to know about shark attacks. Mm -hmm. And the reason that they wanted this lovely listener wanted us to talk about shark attacks is because we live in Australia. 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 Now, I've done some research on the topic and I have found that in fact in 2019 the US led the tally chart when it came to shark attacks. Oh, really? And yet we get mm, yeah. the reputation. Yeah, we oh. came in second. They had 41 attacks mm. to our 11. Gosh. Ooh. Yeah. Not even Neither close. Neither of yeah. our countries, though, had fatal shark attacks in 2019. The Bahamas did. They had one fatal with two non-fatal. Mm. And that brought them in at number three. In the US, Florida has the most unprovoked shark attacks. So the difference between provoked and unprovoked, like obviously unprovoked, you totally don't say it mm. coming, kind of thing. Provoked is considered if you're like diving, taking photos of sharks, oh, okay. doing so. You're not necessarily out there like mm. Mm, come and yeah. attack me. You're yeah. just like you're in their domain. You're aware you're there. It's provoked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hawaii and California were two and three within the U.S. Which is funny because when I went to Hawaii, we were in Maui. I think I told you this, and we were swimming, and I was we were like snorkeling, and I was concerned about sharks the whole time.
0: Mm. But people are in the water in those places. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow, shark!
0: Rawr. My dad brought the first ever CD to Australia. He worked for Philips at the time, and
2: uh. what? <laughs> yes. What? Let me what? tell you what happened.
0: So he'd been – he used to go to Japan for work all the time and he was working with Philips and they would launched this new machine called a CD player and Dad brought one home and – Played a piece of music on it for us, and the piece of music was bah, 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 and he had it turned bah, bah. up to so loud the windows were shaking in our little house, <laughs> and and I can remember him going, "The you won't need records anymore one day. We've got these now." And he's showing us his little silver, silver little shiny little thing. rainbow on the back, and yeah. he said, "You can even step on them, and they don't break." So us kids, he threw it down on the carpet, and us kids were all stepping on the CD, going, "Wow, look, it doesn't even break!" Like as we know now, they do scratch. Yeah. but at that time it was like this is the new technology kids and we've got it right here and he wow. been he went to the Sydney Opera House and they did a big launch where they went here's the new way we're going to listen to music on CDs
1: hmm. wow there you go there are no CDs in my house
0: right really yeah. I've got like hundreds of them and I don't know what to really? do with them yeah. who listens to CDs now yeah do op shops take them no one wants them nah. no sad isn't
1: it no one wants them Anyway, more than half of all shark attacks were people who were surfing. Um, Paige Winter, she was 17 when she was attacked by a shark. She was at the beach with her family. She was only in waist-deep water. That's terrifying, isn't it?
0: Would sharks be as scary if they had fur?
2: Be, yes. M- yeah. Like I'll if they were fluffy. They have the teeth. And they'd be wet fur. Oh, yeah, yes, that's true. Yeah, but they'd Christ. be cuter. No, they wouldn't no, they be wouldn't. cute. Cuter? You're implying that What's they're making already them cute. Not? I've they a didn't, shark.
0: What if they didn't have pointy noses? It felt sandy and yucky. When did you pet a shark? In Singapore. Really? Mm. Why?
1: I don't know. At their aquarium, you could do that. That mm. like, was a long time ago. It was more than 10 years ago, but you could do that. Pat a shark. I didn't like it. Felt yucky. Did it feel rubbery? That's why I picture it. It felt like rubbery, but with like s- s- gritty. Ew. It wasn't mm. nice. No. No. Not um, we have some audio, though, and this audio is um, from Paige's dad. And the reason why I'm playing it is because I think that he kind of describes the chaos quite well. His name is Charlie Winter.
3: There's a very long chain... Of events that happen um, if one of those links in that chain got taken out uh, Paige wouldn't be here and that's no good but uh, yeah she is here she's tough and she's got a lot of things to show a lot of people and she's going to it was just after noon, and the kids decided they're gonna go out in the water and they're gonna they're gonna play and I said, that's great, it's perfect. I'm gonna sit right here and do nothing. <laughs> and one of the kids said, they're gonna, you know, 15, 16, 17 year olds out there, they're gonna play mermaids. And I was like, ugh, and I turned my head and I'm like, I'm not doing that. And right about three seconds after I turned my head, I heard Charlie, and then I turned around and I said, shark, page her." And I turned to where page was and there was no page. Page was underwater. But there was pink on the water. I saw pink. And it was moving. And it was probably from where the first set of pink was to where I dove in was probably about five feet. Paige was going backwards. And she was underwater. Uh, I grabbed her with my left arm. And I pulled her up over the water. And when I pulled her up, a shark came up with her. uh, And it was a big shark. The head was... It was a big shark, and uh, I immediately just started to hit it. I read five times. It could have been ten. It could have been three. It could. Have, I don't know. I wasn't keeping track, but I know. Um, I know I was hitting it, and I hit it with everything I could. And it let go. As we were running back to the shore, Paige was quiet. She was calm, and she only said the word "dad." And she was so calm, and I could see the damage, and I knew it was bad, and I started to uh, started to, to worry a little bit. I listened to every word she said, every movement of her lip, every way the wind uh, wind blew her hair. Just took it all in. As I was doing that, people were uh, just running up, tourniquets, towels, uh, umbrella bags. They were using everything they could. Uh, luckily, someone walked by that had a belt on, just happened to be walking on the beach, had his belt. I just walked up, handed it over. Names I don't know, names I'll, I'll never know, you know. But it's just a link in the chain. I've been a paramedic firefighter for 15 years. And I've seen a lot of things, a lot of bad things. Uh, Paige was as calm as that cup of water. She never screamed. She never cried. She was completely calm the entire time, answering questions. I think the only thing she said was, can I please go to the hospital now? She's a tough little thing.
0: Um, what, what had she lost?
1: Her leg. Oh. Her thigh. <gasps> oh, Yeah. But he describes... You know, I really liked his description because he's a firefighter paramedic. So he's talking Mm. about how he's seen a lot of things. And I think that's what enabled him in that moment to take his daughter in. He thought he was losing her. So he wasn't entirely, of course, he was panicked. But he was like, I took in the way her lip moved, the way the wind blew her hair. Mm. I took it all in. And I think that's a real thing. That's something that only someone who's dealt with trauma Mm. and death before can stop themselves and say, I need to not panic and I need to take this moment in. Yeah. So Paige lost her leg, but she survived. Wow. Yeah, there was a huge outpouring of kind of support for her. She got celebrity messages and everyone was, you know, telling her to hold strong. Um, There are... So many videos around about shark attacks, but Australian Story did a piece on attacks in the Wit Sundays. In that piece, one of the rescuers um, featured basic shark safety tips no swimming at dusk or dawn, and not to throw, if you're on a boat, don't throw food scraps over mm. and then go swimming within half an hour, and don't swim while you're bleeding. Mm. Now, I checked.
2: <laughs> Here it is. Yes. If
1: that included. If you have your period, yes, it It, would do. It doesn't. Well, because it's a mm. different kind of blood.
0: No, blood is blood. Come on. It's a
1: different kind of blood. Okay,
0: you go for a swim then with sharks.
1: (laughs) Why would you risk it? Yeah, I know. I know. Why would you risk it? But it it doesn't include period blood. You might as
0: well rub yourself with raw meat and jump in.
1: Well,
0: that's crazy. That's it. Thank you. You're welcome. We're going to I don't know
1: if that person wanted it a menstrual side note with their shark <laughs> story.
0: I'm mean, going to guess not. Bonus. But they've,
1: give, they've got one.
0: Bonus there. Thank you. Dead Bodies is created by DD Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at, deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.